Uh, I'm going to move this up, guys, so you're not squished over here. So let me do this. Squish the boys. All right, I'm going to move this over here. All right, so hopefully everyone can kind of see this. All right, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, is that in the way of the board? It is or in the way of the screen? I, I guess it kind of is, isn't it? Kind of defeats the purpose of that over here. All right. All right, so let's do this. Just, just bear with us. We just got back from summer camp. I don't even know what day it is right now, right? So, so bear, bear with me. All right, is this any better? All right, so we'll, we'll try that for now. We'll see how that works, all right? Uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. It is, it, is it good to be saved this morning? Man, it's good to be saved. It's good to be in church. And if you're like, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what that saved stuff is all about. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, we uh, have a young man that just got saved last night that's with us today. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Uh, John chapter number one. And for those that are not familiar, what we're doing is we're going verse by verse through the gospel of John. And we've gotten real far in this book. We've gotten to chapter one. <laughs> all right. And uh, we are, we're going to do the best we can to... Uh, uh, just take our time and digest the Word of God. Let me just be honest with you. At summer camp, uh, here's what would happen. The old folks would sit down. That's me, right? The, we're the old folks. We'd sit down, and by the time we're getting like the second bite, the kids are cleaning their tables off, and they're running on to the next thing. And I'm going, you, how, do you, how do you guys even? It was just like, boo, it was in there, and it was, it was swallowed, and they were gone, you know? And, and I'm like, how do you digest your food? And I guess, you know, when you're that young, it doesn't matter, you know? Uh, but... Uh, but anyways, spiritually speaking, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we scarf it down and move on to the next thing, right? And so what I, what I want us to be able to do as we go through this book verse by verse is kind of the opposite of that, is to take our time. And we tell our kids when they're going too fast, chew at least 30 times, right? Now, it, it's, let's be honest, they never do that. It's a lot. But, but, <laughs> but you start with 30. It's, everything with children is a negotiation, right? If I start with 30, I might get them to 10. So, uh, so the idea is this, as a believer, take in the words of God, and uh, the Bible says that the words of God are meant to be honey, right? They're, it's meant to be bread. It's meant to be milk. It's meant to be meat. And uh, some of those things you have to chew a little bit less, some of those things you chew a little bit more, uh, but ultimately the goal is to get in the Word of God uh, and then to take that, that book as it's being put inside of your life and to shed it abroad, right? Now, here's the problem. If you just quickly go through things from the Word of God and then you move on to the next thing, you won't even remember what you got to give it to somebody else. Does that make sense? And so it's good to take the time. So we are going, as the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, line upon line and precept upon precept, uh, here a little, there a little, so that we can learn what it is that God is telling us in the book of John. So you got your hand in John chapter 1, right? Everybody there? All right, so before we read any verses, keep your hand there and go to the end of the book, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And I know that some of you already know this, but I, I'd like to, if nothing else, give a reminder as to why it is that we are reading uh, and going through verse by verse in the book of John. Like, why are we doing this, right? Mm. Somebody recently, one of the young believers said, where do I start reading my Bible? I said, start in the Gospel of John. And they said, okay, well, I finished that. Where do I go from there? I said, go to Romans. And uh, the reason for that is, uh, we're going to read it in just a moment. John is given for a particular reason. 
Now, you can make the argument that every book of the Bible is there for a reason, amen? Uh, every word of God is pure. Uh, we understand that. H however, some of the books literally tell you, here's why I wrote this book. And so look at John chapter 20, and look, if you would, at verse number 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Amen? Aren't you glad you have life through his name? Well, the reason that the book of John was written was to give you confidence in your decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. For you to have confidence in the fact that he is exactly who he said that he was. All right. So go back to John chapter one, John chapter one. And uh, let's ask God to bless what it is that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Brother Jose Espinoza, if you'd ask God's blessing on, on the study this morning, appreciate it. Yeah. Please. Amen. Amen. Look at you at John chapter one and verse uh, number eleven. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now, clearly, what that's talking about in context is he came unto his own in regards to his own nation, his own people. Uh, and we understand from Romans chapter 11 that right now, as far as the nation of Israel is concerned, that they are in what the Bible calls blindness in part. One of the seven mysteries of the New Testament is this thing called the, the blindness in part of Israel. The reason why it's blindness in part is, number, reason number one is this, uh, Jews can still get saved just like Gentiles, Amen. If you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, God doesn't look at your race. He simply looks at whether or not you will, you will submit to the righteousness of God and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, black, white, red, yellow. God does not care about any of that, Jew or Gentile, because in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? So, so the first reason is this, all right? They, they can still get saved by trusting Christ as their Savior. The second reason is this. All of the scriptures were committed to the Jews, all right. The Bible says in Romans three, what advantage then hath the Jew? And he says this much chiefly every way. All right. The, the oracles of God were committed unto them. In, in so many words, they're the ones that have the scriptures. Every book in your Bible is written by a Jew. When Jesus Christ shows up, he says salvation is of or from the Jews. Why did he say that? Because he himself, when he decided, when God decided to become a man and be born on this earth through a virgin, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, and his own received him not. They said this, we will have, uh, uh, we'll have Caesar as our king. We have no king but Caesar. They said this, crucify him. They said this, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And, and so as a nation, they said no. And so in blindness in part has happened. However, they can still be saved just like anybody else. All right. Now, now that said, look at verse uh, 11. He came to his own, his own received him not. That's the context of that. But I like, the, I like this but in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Listen, when you were born again, you could not muster enough righteousness together in yourself. You could not in your mind go, I'm going to make myself get saved. I'm going to make myself get saved. There was nothing that you could do. All you could do, all that a young man did last night was receive a free gift. That's it. God, God already did the work for you. All right. So when we talk about this, this, this thing called the, the spiritual birth or being born again, I mean, like that word, that term born again means all kinds of things to all kinds of people. You, you, you talk to, you know, guys that like to be out in nature, you know, like I was on the mountain, you know, and I saw this flash of lightning and man, I just had this experience and like John Denver, right? You know, I, you the old songs about being born again by being out in nature. Uh, listen, here's the problem. Nature's under a curse. And so are you. It's called sin. And Romans chapter 8 addresses that as beautiful as the sunrises are. As be- and listen, I'll tell you what. I love being where I live out there. There's, there's no tree. There's nothing obstructing the view of watching that big golden ball of fire rise and push up that blue and push out those clouds. And that, those rays just shoot out and that warmth comes on your body. There's nothing like it. But I'll tell you what. That is still, think about this, that is still, as beautiful as it is, that's still under the curse of sin. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when that's lifted? Man, it's going to be awesome. Uh, But what I'm getting at is this, there's a reason why he says in verse number 13, which were born, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Look at John chapter 3. I know this is uh, somewhat elementary for those that have been saved for a long time. But I want to make sure I explain it for a couple of reasons. Number one, some of you have been saved for a long time and you know this stuff. And you're like, yeah, I've heard this before. Can you explain it to somebody else? Because it does no good if you have it in your steel trap and it doesn't get out of there. You understand that, right? And the whole purpose of Sunday school is for you to learn the word of God so you can give it to somebody else. All right. John chapter three. Look, if you would, at verse number five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee. Well, let's go back to verse number three. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So then what, what follows up from that is a natural question. Uh, here's a natural man, as the Bible calls him, and the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, which is why if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you've never been born again, and you pick up the Bible, you're like, I don't get what it's saying. I want to, but I don't get it. You know why? Because according to the Bible, you have a dead spirit. And it needs to be revived. And the only way to be revived is to, have, to be given life from God through a spiritual birth. And once you experience that, the author of the book lives inside of you. So then the book makes a little bit more sense. All right. Uh, but look what, Jesus, look what Nicodemus says. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time uh, into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water... And of the Spirit. Right? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, for those that were raised like I was, Catholic background, when you read water, what do you think of right away? Baptism, Baptism, right? Well, the Bible clears that up for you so you know it's not baptism. Look at the next verse. It lines up water with something, and it lines up spirit with something. It lines up water with that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Uh, We've got Miss Debbie in here, and in a couple of weeks, uh, her water's going to break. And when her water breaks, uh, it won't be too long after that, uh, that their baby boy will be born, right? All right, and uh, we've got another lady here who's got a little Olivia in her, in her belly, and in about, I don't know, uh, hold on, 11 weeks, am I right about that? 11 weeks? 
20, 21. Oh, I'm off by, I'm off by, I, all right, all right. All right, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Why all the hate? I was, I'm a preacher. I'm not a mathematician. I'm sorry. Uh, 21. I knew, the, I knew where you were at. I just wasn't adding it up right. So she's at 19 weeks, all right? <laughs> I went to public school for a long time, too, all right? Um, so she's at, she's at 19 weeks, right? And, and so in, a, in 20, I almost did it again. In 21 weeks, all right, uh, that water is going to break, and Olivia's going to be born. So when he says that you're born of, of water, that's your first birth. Now, unless you're some kind of on some kind of psychedelic trip, you know you're here, okay? Unless you're like, you know, some far out hip, you're like, are any of us really here? Yeah, unless you're there, you know you're here, right? So, so you had a physical birth that establishes that you're physically here right now. Now, here's the problem. If you've only had a physical birth and you've never experienced a spiritual birth, you're not spiritually here. And that's the problem. And the problem is you can be in church and you can hear this stuff day and night. And until which time you say, you know what? I know I'm lost without Jesus Christ. I know that he paid the sin debt for me. I know that I deserve to pay it myself. I know where this thing ends and the, play, the Bible calls it a lake of fire. I understand all of that. But God loved me enough to step in and send himself as his son and live a sinless life and die on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to accept his righteousness. I'll accept what he did for me. I'll take his payment for my soul. When you do that, you're born again. And you experience a new life, all right? And that's what Jesus Christ is describing uh, here to Nicodemus. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so the idea is this. uh, When he talks about being born, go back to John chapter 1. When he talks about being born... Uh, there in verse number 13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's talking about a spiritual birth. When you experience that spiritual birth, that is when you are adopted into God's family as a son of God. Look, if you would, at verse 12. But as many as received him, not religion, listen to me, as many as received him, not a church. Are you listening? Not a baptism, not a wafer, not a, not a church service, not, none of that. We, listen, we got the name Baptist on the side of our church, uh, and, and you would think if there's anyone in the world that would want to convince you that baptism is the way to heaven, it'd be us, right? It's in the name, but that's not what the Bible teaches, all right? And so it's, it's not in a thing. It's as many as received him. To them gave he what? Power to become the sons of God. We're going to talk about power in the morning message uh, but the idea is this, you get adopted into God's family, and when that happens, all right, that is when you become a child of God. Now, there's this idea out there that we're all children of God. Uh, let me break it down for you this way. Um, as it relates to that, that topic, it's a half-truth. And the most dangerous lies are the ones that are laced with half-truths. Because we're all the children of God. Well, yeah, kind of, in a sense, yes, that's true. I'll prove it to you from the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Now, if someone were to sit here and go, well, why, do you, why, do you, why are you going to the Bible for your proof? Well, it's kind of like this. We all have opinions, and they're all kind of like armpits. We all have them, they all stink, amen? Sometimes they smell fresh, sometimes they're rotten, Right? 
And, and so the idea is this. You know what the Bible does for all of us? It equalizes. It kind of says, regardless of your culture, your background, your race, your age, or whatever else, here's a final authority that puts everybody on the same footing. So, you know, the world talks about equality. Here's how you're equal. You're all sinners. <laughs> right? We're all sinners. We all are. And so we need a final authority that sets us straight. That's what the book does. Look at Acts 17. And uh, Paul is talking to uh, some of the, the people here in Athens. Uh, and these people in Athens are pagans. They don't know the one true God. As a matter of fact, if you look down there at verse number 23, they have an inscription on an altar to the unknown God. And the reason that inscription is there is because uh, uh, some time ago, uh, a volcano blew up in that place. Uh, now, this is not in your Bible. This is history as to why that inscription is there. You can learn this later. A volcano blew up, and certain of them were saved, and so they attributed that salvation to an unknown God. And they knew they had done something wrong to make this unknown God upset, which is why the volcano blew up. This is their perception of the people of Greece, right? And so this is their perception of who God is. Judgment came. We didn't all die, so we were spared. But this is an unknown God to us because we know the God of thunder, and we know the God of this, and the goddess of fertility, and we know this God and that goddess, but we don't know the one true God. So they made an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. And so Paul sees this altar, and he goes, you guys... I'm here to tell you, you guys have been worshiping an unknown God. Would you like to know him? Yeah. Okay, well, let me tell you about him. And so Paul proceeds to do that. If you read verse 24, 25, 26, and by the way, Paul doesn't start with the Romans road with those people. He starts with the fact that God made them. Right. Creation, right? Uh, look, look, if you would, I, I've learned to do that. There's some young people I've talked to today that, that one of the biggest hurdles you have to get past is that there is a God, number one, and that God is the creator, number two, <laughs> And so Paul did that with them. But look down, if you would, at verse uh, number 27. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Aren't you glad for that? God's not as far as you think he is. Uh, For in him we live and move and have our being. Watch this. As certain also of your own poets have said. For this is the quote. For we are also his what? There it is. Now, here's the deal. You say, what is that? You are physically the offspring of God. You know why? Because he made you. Right? The, the reason why you are called the offspring of God is because God made you. You were created in his image. Right? However, God, the Bible says, is a spirit, John chapter 4, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you really want to know who God is, you have to have a spiritual connection to him. And the problem is, with your first birth, you don't have it. So if you're here and you've been born once, raise your hand. Please, everyone, please raise your hand. All right, that's you, all right? All right, and, and now here's the problem. If you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only have to die once. Now, now, the whole idea is this. There is a, yeah, you are uh, physically the offspring of God when you're born. But you are spiritually the offspring of God when you are born again. All right? Now, that term, sons of God, you're going to find this uh, used in a couple of different ways. Look at Romans. I'm going to start with the New Testament way. Look at Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. The reason he calls you a son of God, you are not the only begotten son of God. That's Jesus Christ. Because he was the only one that was physically born 
as God manifests in the flesh. That's not you. That's not me. You know how I know? Because you're a sinner just like I am, all right? And if, if, if you're married, I'll ask your spouse. Don't look at me like, I never sinned, right? Your spouse will tell on you, all right? Uh, and if you're a kid, your mom and dad will tell on you. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Uh, because we're born that way, and then we choose to sin after that. Look at Romans 8 and verse number uh, 29. For whom he did foreknow. This is talking, this is God speaking about believers that are born again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate not to be saved. All right, if, 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 if you are uh, being predestinated to something, it's because of a choice that you made first. All right. Now, the now reason I say this is there's a lot of people that go, oh, the word predestined, it means that God chose this for you and you had no choice. That's absolutely not the case. But as many as received him, that implies you had to receive him. That implies you could have rejected him. All right. As many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Okay, I received him. All right. Well, once you receive him, you are predestined. In other words, no matter what you do in this life, you realize you could get saved and make it a complete mess of your life in the flesh? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, listen, I don't, I don't encourage you to do that. I encourage you to get saved, get in church, get in your Bible, tell people about Jesus, and live the rest of your life as best as you can for Him. That's the best life, all right? However, not everybody does that. We all go through valleys and peaks and things like that. And your actions do not determine your salvation, all right? And you should thank God for that, all right? So what God says is regardless of what you do, I, I'm going to fix it so in the end you end up just like me. Look at verse 29, all right? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his what? And that's talking about Jesus Christ, that he, Jesus, might be the what? Firstborn among many brethren. That's why we are called the sons of God, because once you get saved, uh, the book of Philippians says it this way, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, the moment you got saved, God started a work in your, in your life that will not be complete until the rapture. And at the rapture, your body's going to be changed and you're going to have a body that is sinless like Jesus. Are you, not, are you not a little bit excited about not having to watch what you say when you get there? I mean, I'm going to watch what you say and, you know, and, and watch what you say, you know, someone says, does this look nice on me, you know, and you go, well, you know, look better on somebody else and they slap you, you know, and all that kind of trouble. You don't want to lie. Oh, oh, come on now. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you got to watch what you say. You got to watch what you think. You know, some thoughts get in there that don't belong in there. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and then you fight those thoughts. But man, there's coming a day when everything you think and everything you say is going to be just right. Because you're, conf- you're going to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's why He calls you a son of God. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Now, I'm giving you uh, how the term sons of God is used in your Bible. And there's actually a couple of different ways, depending on whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Now, if you're not familiar with your Bible, and I tell you to go to 1 John and you're in the Gospel of John, you're looking at me going, I thought I was in the First John. Uh, first John is right there toward the end of your Bible. It goes First John, Second John, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. So First John chapter 3. If you've been saved for a long time, can I just say this? You take things like that for granted. And you forget what it was like trying to find books of the Bible in church when you didn't know where to find them, right? 
Uh, first John, I was at a summer camp, not, not the one we just came back from, but another one in Ohio, and there were these two uh, 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 Puerto Rican kids, and, and uh, uh, I, I took a liking to them, you know, and they took a liking to me for obvious reasons, and, and uh, yeah, uh, and uh, we were talking about the island and, you know, what it's like to live there and, and why they moved away. They moved away from, uh, uh, after Hurricane Maria, and they came to Ohio to try to uh, start a better life, and uh, they were very, very thankful to be living in the States. And uh, anyways, I, I watched the young lady. I can't remember her name right now, but uh, I do know this much. We prayed all week long for her to get saved. She wasn't saved. Her brother had gotten saved on Easter Sunday, and uh, he was there with her, but she wasn't saved yet. And so, you know, prayed for her all week long. That Sunday after camp, she bowed with her mom and got on her knees and bowed her heart and accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. Amen. But I remember watching her while I was preaching, and I, I remember at one point she literally just threw her arms up uh, because I'm going real fast, going from place to place, and she couldn't find it. So if that's you, don't get discouraged. If you keep at it, you'll eventually learn where those places are at. Uh, look at First John chapter 3, and look, if you would, at verse number 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the what? Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we, now, right now, you are the Son of God. If you're a born-again Christian, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, right, in his image, we're going to get his image as well. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You want to stay out of trouble? Live your life like Jesus Christ is coming back. Look at verse 3. Anytime you get in trouble as a Christian, you know what the part of the problem is? Uh, you're not living in light of his return. Uh, my kids love me, and uh, they love me being around, but I can tell you, there have been moments when I come home and the kids are a little less excited to see Dad. You know why? Because Mom's standing there at the door going, tell him, tell him, son, what do you got to tell Dad? Right? Or, or, or it's just real quiet and you walk in and mom's got a look on her face and I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? I don't know. Why don't you ask your daughter? Right? Uh, and, and so the kids love dad, but they're not always in love with me showing up, depending on how they're behaving. Does that, does that make sense? So you may, you may as a born-again Christian say, I love God. Well, you, if, you, if you love him, let me encourage you to live in light of his appearing. Now, what he says there is this. You are going to be like him, like Christ, which is why he says you are the sons of God. Now, that's the, that's the, the New Testament side of this, all right? In the Old Testament, there's a different group of people that are called sons of God. Uh, but before I get there, go to John chapter number 8. We will come across this later as we go verse by verse in John. But look at John chapter 8. Someone asked me at camp, do you have a photographic memory? I said, nope, not even close. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you how many things I forget all the time. Um, but but I'll, I'll say this, the way you learn the Bible is by going over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. Uh, look at John chapter 8, look at verse number 44. Now before I read this verse, I, I want to give you context. Jesus Christ is speaking to religious people. All right, religious people, but not saved people, religious, but lost. All right. 
Someone could say, well, I, 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 you know, listen, I, I did First Communion. I, I give, you know, my money to charity. Um, that homeless guy on the corner there at Hamden and Chambers, I gave him money. Uh, I'm a good guy. I try to help out my neighbor. This is who Jesus Christ is, is talking to. Religious people, but they're not trusting his righteousness. They're trusting their own. Does that make sense? And so in his time, those people were called Pharisees. Uh, look at John 8 and verse 44. And look what he says here. Talking to them. Ye are of your father. What are the next two words? I didn't write that. Don't, if you don't like it, take it out with God. I would probably never look at somebody and tell them that. But I'm also not sinless. And I'm also not as holy as he is. But on good authority, I can tell you that if spiritually speaking, if you've never been born again, you're in the wrong family. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get in the right one. As a matter of fact, uh, you know how God describes the process of you becoming his child? You say a spiritual birth. Yeah, but he calls it something else. He calls it adoption. He, he takes in kids that weren't his because he loves them. Right? And the only thing is you've got to meet God on his terms and conditions. His term and condition for your salvation is Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, I, I'm a good enough guy. I'm a good enough lady. I don't need that. I don't need to get saved. I don't need to get born again. I'll do it my own way. That's totally fine. That's up to you. But understand, if you do that, you stay in the wrong family. He says, ye are of your father, the devil. Look what it says here. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the what? Father of it. So what he's trying to describe for you here is two different families, God's family and the devil's. So either you are, you are now I know this is, rough, this is rough for Sunday morning for some people, I get it. Some of you are like, man, I was hoping we'd sing Kumbaya, hold hands, you make me feel better. Uh, and, and listen, you can walk out of here feeling outstanding, man. If this is bothering you right now, you can feel a whole lot, a lot better about this when you leave. But the only way you're going to feel better about this is if you submit to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, you say, you know what? I would like to be born again. I'd like to receive that free gift of eternal life because without that, you stay in the wrong family spiritually. And so what God says is this. You're a son of, of the devil spiritually. Okay, I want to make you my child. But you have to choose that. You have to accept what I did for you. I did the work, but you got to accept it. All right? So this is when the New Testament talks about being called a son of God. That is a spiritual transaction, the spiritual birth that makes you his son. And eventually you will be in his image for eternity. All right? Now look at the Old Testament. Go to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. my media guys this is not a shock to them but i may have been overly ambitious with everything we were going to cover so if you got to edit the title you can do that all right uh they know what that's all about genesis chapter six and look if you would this is a weird weird uh thing here that's going on in genesis six this is before the flood came before god wipes everything out now you may go I can't believe in a God that would wipe people out. So you don't believe in a God that would give justice to people that are abusing children? Do you know the, I'm gonna, we, got, we got little ears, so I'll keep it very PG. Do you know the perversion 
archaeologically the things that are found in some of these digs when they go back in these ancient civilizations that Israel wiped out? Do you know what they find? Things that I can't even speak about from the pulpit. See, you don't, you don't, you don't either don't know history or don't know the Bible or maybe don't know both, but you've been taught this garbage that just because God is love, that he would never judge anything. Well, a, a person that loves everything all the time is a pervert. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I'm serious. Like if someone loves someone that abuses, uh, uh, someone loves abusing children, that's perverted. Do you understand that, right? Okay, so, so then God wouldn't love that. Are we, are we, can we agree on that? All right, so, so God would judge that. So here's what's really interesting about judgment. Here's what I learned about people. They're, people are funny. They're fickle. Uh, if someone does you wrong, you want them judged. But if someone does God wrong, it's like, well, I don't get what the big deal is. He gave you life, sucker. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? To, to look, shake my fist at God and go, you, listen, God knows exactly what it's like because he became one of us, and for 33 and a half years, he never sinned. And that's what separates Jesus Christ from all of us. But in Genesis chapter 6, there's some really far out stuff going on. Uh, look at verse number 2. All right, verse number 1, I'm sorry. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God... This is not New Testament Christians because we're not there yet, okay? So this is someone else. Let's just agree with that much right now. It's someone else that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, whatever, the, whatever goes on in verse 2, God's not happy about it. Look what he says in verse 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. All right? Now look at verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And look what God says about that. God saw the weakness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's some uh, perversion going on here. Now, you, you may have a different take on who the sons of God are. My question is this. How did you get to the conclusion that you did? Now, we know clearly it's not New Testament Christians because we're not, we're not there there is, this is the Old Testament. This is before New Testament shows up, before Jesus shows up, before Christians show up. This is thousands of years earlier. So who are these sons of God? The only scriptural answer that I can give you, uh, according to the Bible, now there may be different commentaries that say different things, but according to the Bible, the best answer I can give you is this. Aren't you supposed to compare scripture with scripture? Yeah. That's how you're supposed to learn the Bible, right? So look at the book of Job. Look at Job chapter number one. Job chapter 1. The best answer I've got is that these are some kind of angelic beings. Now, if you do the math and you read Genesis 6 again a little bit slower, you're going to go, uh, what is going on there? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, look at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And look if you would. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. There's not one plot Hollywood could come up with that would be further out away from some things you read in your Bible. Um, Job chapter 1, look if you would, at verse number 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and look who was coming among them, Satan. So there, there's some, this is, a, there, this is a, a, up in the, what the Bible calls the third heaven. I'm going to get rid of some of this, okay? So in your Bible, there are not seven heavens, all right? Um, there are three. 
You got the first one, that's where the birds are at. We're going to make this real simple. You got the second one, that's where the stars and the planets and the galaxy above is at. And you got the third one, and that's where God dwells. All right? He says that the heaven, uh, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. All right? So that's where God's at. All right? And so the sons of God came to present themselves there. So these aren't people. And these aren't Christians because there are no Christians yet. And Satan comes among them. Now, if you know your Bible, Satan technically is not an angel. He is a cherub, all right? But it's an angelic being. That much we can agree on, all right? And uh, you say, who is he? Well, he's Lucifer. He fell from his first uh, 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 place that God had him in over the throne of God, as it's talked about in Ezekiel chapter 28, all right? So he fell from that, but before all of that, there, or after all that, excuse me, he comes with a group of people uh, as Satan, and those people that, uh, I say people loosely, these beings, if you will, that show up there to present themselves. Why are they there to present themselves? I'm not really sure. I don't know. But I know they had some kind of accountability to God, so they're presenting themselves there, and in with those sons of God comes Satan. Now, as far as I can tell, these are some kind of angelic beings. Look at Job Chapter, uh, chapter number two, chapter two. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, can, can we at least agree these are not human beings because they're in the third heaven and the interaction that takes place throughout the book of Job is with humans on the planet. You got Job and his friends and Job's family. So whoever's up there in the third heaven, by the way, this is another Bible study for another time, but believers from the Old Testament didn't go into the third heaven in the Old Testament. They went into the lower parts of the earth, uh, 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 Matthew chapter number 12, Ephesians chapter 4, all right? So they went to paradise in the heart of the earth until Jesus took paradise up to the third heaven. So whoever these things, or whatever these beings are, they're not people, they're not believers, they're some kind of angelic beings. Look at Job 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. All right, go, if you would, to Job chapter number 38. Job chapter 38. Job, Job 38. Now, I took three years of Greek, took a year of Hebrew. If you guys wanted me to, I could pull it out and try to sound smart, but you've got a book written in your language that tells you what to know about the subject. So probably the best place to start to learn this is with the one in your language, right? So look at Job chapter 38. And look, if you would, at verse uh, number one. <laughs> I like this because this is where Job, Job was like, before, before this chapter, Job's like, if God was here, I'd let him have a piece of my mind. I'd ask this question, and I'd ask him why he did this, and I'd ask him why he did this. You ever heard someone talk that way? And then God shows up, and all of a sudden, Job falls on his face just like everybody else does in the Bible. And the Lord spoke in verse number one. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkened the counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. All of a sudden, Job is, you know, kind of, you know, he's running his mouth big time before God shows up. All of a sudden, he's like, well, no, 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 right? Now, now, in the midst of all of that, and I want to show you something, God starts asking Job some questions. And he basically, he basically asks this kind of question. Where were you? Where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I flung the stars into existence, when I laid the foundations of there? Where were you, Job? You think you're big stuff? Here I am. Show up. Let's, let's talk. 
Now, in the midst of all of that, look if you would at verse number 7, talking about creation. If you look at verse 4, look at verse 5, look at verse 6, clearly this is talking about creation. And, And so he's asking these questions about where were you when I made everything. Look at verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the what? So when he's making everything, these angelic beings are going, praise him, praise him, praise him, glory to his name, hallelujah. They're praising him for his work in creation. Now, that's not you. You're not even made yet. (laughs) So whoever this is, some kind of angelic being that's worshiping God when he's creating the world. So the reason I show you this is primarily for a couple things. I want you to understand that the term sons of God is used in different ways in your Bible from Old Testament to New Testament. On the New Testament side, it's a reference to you if you're a born-again child of God. In the Old Testament, it's a reference to angelic beings, and you say, why is that? As best as I can tell, uh, they also were made in His image, right? There's some differences. I won't go into all of that right now between them and us as, as uh, being made in the image of God, all right? Uh, but they're called the sons of God because, uh, you know, what an angel is. Remember in the Gospels, I know this is going to be, for some of you, kind of unfamiliar territory. But remember uh, Jesus talking to the disciples about children? And he says, their angel doth appear before my father. Now, that's the, the, the passage where most people take that thing and they go, guardian angel. That's where they get the idea of a guardian angel. Now, I won't argue with someone if you want to think there's a guard. Maybe there is. Maybe there's, I, but I, I think there may be something else there. Uh, because an angel is an appearance. Are you with me? It is a spiritual appearance that represents God. So a, a son of God is an appearance of God, but not God himself. Does that make sense? So these angelic beings were made to do that. And then when you're born again, follow the train of thought, when you're born again, listen, you are the witness, you are the testimony of God on this planet that there is a God. You are the closest thing to the appearance of God that this world is ever going to see. All right? So that's why you are called a, as the Bible says, son of God. Go back to John chapter number one. John chapter one. And congratulations, New Heights Baptist Church family, we got through one slide. Can we get to the next one? All right. Yay. Yay. Thank you. All right. I'll be here next week. I'll be here next week. Uh, So uh, look at John chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go back and just kind of look at one other thing here real quick as we round this out. All right. So uh, I would say that maybe the title for Sunday school should be the sons of God and the spiritual birth. And we'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, but uh, I gave them like three or four different titles. And they're like, I know when you got the email, you're like, ain't no way we're going to do all that. Uh, look at John chapter one and look at uh, verse number 13 now. So now you're a son of God. He's going to describe for you this. He's going to describe for you that the way you were born was not by you making something happen spiritually. You, you couldn't make something happen physically for you to be born someone else did that right all right so so spiritually speaking you could not make yourself be born all right that does not that does not absolve you from having a free will verse 12 and verse 13 are not contradictory verses because in verse 12 he says as many as what received him all right so if you receive something that means you've got a choice right are you guys with me? 
All right, so this means I've got a choice. I can, I can choose to accept or I can choose to reject Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. But in the next verse, look at verse 13. He says, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So some people go, oh, these verses contradict. Or they say, ah, see, it, you had no choice in receiving it. God made you receive it. No, that, that's not what it's saying. All right. Uh, understand this. There's not one of you in this place that was spiritually born again because of anything that your flesh did. It was your spirit submitting to the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God convicted you and showed you that you were a sinner, you had a choice. It, within your own spirit, you could say, yeah, but everybody's a sinner. Yeah, well, you don't know what they did. Yeah, but not as bad as that guy. Yeah, or you could say, yep, that's me, I'm a sinner. That's a spiritual transaction. That's not something that goes on in the flesh. So he says, look, this whole thing of, of, of not being born the will of the flesh... Uh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's not that you don't have a choice. It's that the flesh is not involved in this transaction because it is a spiritual transaction. And it's the same conversation that he has with Nicodemus. Look, it's not about you going back into your mother's womb for the second time. It's about you spiritually uh, experiencing something that happens when you recognize what truth is when God presents it to you and the Spirit of God moves in your heart and shows you you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And let me just say this. If, if after you get saved, these young people made some decisions at camp, which I'm very proud of them for doing. It's awesome. It's amazing. But that was also not flesh. That was the Spirit of God as well. Anything you do in this life for Jesus Christ after you get saved, if it's going to last, it's not going to be flesh. Meaning it's not just going to be your emotions. It will be more than that. It will be the Spirit of God showing you that there's something missing. You need to yield to that. So, so let me give you one verse, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cut loose. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll come back to this thought uh, next week for sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And look, if you would, at verse 50, right at the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and what? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All right? Now, now the reason I'm pointing this out is this. A physical body, do you know what marks physical body? Flesh and blood. Jesus Christ tells Peter, when Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, he says, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. Remember that? All right? So he's telling him, it's not, this is not of man, but rather this is of God. And the same can be said of the spiritual birth. It wasn't a man-made religion. This is of God. Let's stop right there. Let's get, uh, stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer. Be dismissed. Take a 10-minute break. We'll start at about 5 after. And we've got a loaded morning for you. Got some videos for you guys to see. Uh, some great music uh, from our teenagers. Uh, some testimonies. It's going to be a great morning. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Steon if you dismiss us from Sunday school, sir.